Hi everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel for the future of wealth led by Melinda Hightower, the head of multicultural strategic client segment. Melinda, welcome. I'll pass it over to you. Thanks so much, Siobhan, and welcome everyone to the future of wealth, where we explore the intersections between culture, the arts, philanthropy, and inclusive growth. I'm Mel Hightower, head of UBS's multicultural investor segment, and we're closing out this year with thought leaders across the firm. With me today is my colleague, Nadia Lavelle, a senior U.S. equity strategist and UBS's chief investment office. UBS CIO recently released its report titled, The Year Ahead 2024, A New World. Nadia, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Mel. Wonderful. So, Nadia, I'd like to begin with the report's outlook on growth. Nadia, despite higher interest rates, the U.S. government reported that GDP, gross domestic product, grew by a robust 5.2% annual pace in the third quarter, the fastest GDP growth in nearly two years. According to UBS CIO, what drove this growth, and will the U.S. economy maintain this brisk pace for 2024? Well, Mel, as we know, the U.S. economy is a consumption-driven one. I mean, consumer spending accounts for about 70% of GDP. And it's that strength that we have seen in the economy this year has really been driven by the resiliency of the consumer. Uh, now, a few things have been supporting the consumer spending. I mean, first, we have the excess savings that really accumulated during the pandemic. We've had a strong job market. And also, the overall wealth effect just from investment gains that we've seen this year. So, Remember, during the pandemic, there was fiscal stimulus. Americans got checks in the mail from the government. Interest rates were near zero, and most of us were in lockdown, not spending. So what we did was we saved a lot of money. And during that period, we accumulated excess savings that at its peak in 2021 was over $2 trillion. Now, today, there's about a trillion dollars of that left. Um, What was initially estimated at the start of 2023. Now, all that won't be spent down, but what it has done is provide a nice cushion to the consumer. We've also had a pretty robust labor market. What we have seen is that the demand for labor continues to exceed the supply. Right now, there are more job openings than the number of unemployed people. That ratio has come down from its peak when it was above two times, but now it's 1.3 jobs for every unemployed person. So seeing that differently, Mel, what it means is that there are four jobs for every three unemployed person. And pre-pandemic, that ratio was closer to one-to-one. And also, the unemployment rate remains at multi-decade lows at 3.7%. We've also seen wage growth. So inflation is now coming down. That's really helping real income growth. And so that's essentially putting more money into consumers' pockets. So the consumer has been resilient, and Americans are spending. And you couple that with the improving supply conditions that we have seen, some of the, a lot of those pandemic bottlenecks and disruptions have dissipated. You might remember like how challenging it was to get a new car during the pandemic because we had electronic chip shortages. So now we've seen a normalization of some of those manufactured goods and services um, segments, and that's really helping to drive GDP in 2023. So real GDP for full years now tracking to about 2.5%. That's above the longest-term average of about 2%. Where does that leave us, and how does that set up for 24? Well, Mel, as you noted, third-quarter GDP was quite sharp, about 5.2%. So we have seen a slowdown in the current quarter, the fourth quarter, and now that's tracking closer to 1%. 
And this photo shouldn't be any real surprise. At the end of the day, what we've seen is an economy that has been growing above trend since the third quarter of 2022, and we've had a Fed that's been aggressively raising interest rates since. So we're starting to see the drag of some of those higher interest rates. Now, for 2024, what we are expecting, yes, we're expecting slower economic growth, but we're not calling for a recession. So no contraction. We still expect growth, but we're looking for that growth to be around 1% to 1.5% now. So, Nadia, let's dig into some of those the effects of slower growth, particularly as it pertains to interest rates and yields. So GDP growth usually results in increased inflation due to the higher demand for goods and services or reduced supply. And to tame this, as you mentioned, the Federal Reserve has been hiking rates. Then the basic thinking behind this is that higher borrowing costs means that consumers will spend less, which will reduce demand, and ultimately the price of goods and services. With growth slowing and the recent Fed announcement around rates, how might inflation trends and rates evolve according to UBS CIO's analysis? And what strategies should investors consider to navigate that environment? Yeah, you know, uh, as you alluded to, the Fed has been raising interest rates since March of 2022, and it's raised rates 11 times, a total of you know, 525 basis points. The last hike that we saw was in July 2023. Uh, all that was done to bring down inflation from that 40-year high at, at its peak core inflation got up to over 6.5%. Now, since that time, we've made a lot of progress on bringing down inflation. We now have core inflation at 4%. The goal ultimately for the Fed is try to get that back to the 2% target. We're not quite there yet. And it will take a little bit more time, but we do expect that to happen within the next year. You know, so as inflation comes down, monetary policy as it exists today, the upper bound of the Fed funds rate target is at 5.5%. Monetary policy will feel even more restrictive to the real economy, especially one that will be growing more slowly, as we talked about earlier. So to address this and to prevent policy from becoming too restrictive and potentially causing a recession, the Fed needs to cut. Now, we had the um, recent December committee meeting. The Fed signals that it's done hiking indeed, um, and it's preparing for cuts in 2024. Most of the committee members right now have penciled in three 25 basis points cuts for 2024, but a lot of this is going to depend now on the incoming data over the next couple of months, particularly on inflation and the economic growth side. But we think the first cut will come probably late spring, but I will say many market participants are pointing to cuts that could start as early as March and are pointing to potential for six 25 basis points cut in 2024. To us, that seems a little aggressive. He seems a little optimistic. But again, things remain fluid, data dependent. But what's clear to us is that interest rates are likely to be much lower in 2024. So from an investment standpoint, uh, what we have been advising uh, for some time now, it's really lock in yields and fixed income and extending duration by moving out on the maturity curve. Right now, when you look at it, like a six-month Treasury bill yields just over 5%. But six months from now, when that bill matures, interest rates are likely to be lower and there will be reinvestment risk. You know, even in October, you know, five-year Treasury bills yielding close to 5%. Today, that's 4%. And that's likely to fall further. So my point is, we expect bond yields to fall as economic growth slows and the Fed begins to cut rates. 
Um, in fact, we think that the yield on a 20-year Treasury will be around 3.5% by the time we get to the end of 2024, down from 4% today. So locking in those yields now, if you haven't already, is important, and it is quite urgent. Um, you know, in addition to investing in quality fixed income securities and really locking in those deals, on the equity side, we really like quality stocks. Now, what does that mean? What does quality stocks mean? Well, we're talking about companies that are profitable, generating a lot of cash, don't have a lot of debt, make good investments such that they have a high return on investment capital. And, and so where can you find some of those companies? Well, they exist in almost every sector. Yes. A lot are in tax, but there are also many in healthcare, industrial, consumer sectors as well, among others. So it's really about diversifying in 2024, but also maintaining that quality bias now. Great. And so, again, really looking to lock in those attractive yields on the fixed, fixed income side, and then also looking to um, looking across industries for quality stocks as well. So now what I'd love to talk about is what's happening on the geopolitical front. In the U.S., we're entering an election year. Globally, there are ongoing Israel, Hamas, and Russia-Ukraine wars, as well as increased tensions between the U.S. and China. So, Nadia, as we step back and think about what's going on both domestically and abroad, according to UBS CIO, how geopolitical events such as these impact financial markets in the next 12 months? You know, no, no, we live in a, in a world right now which is heightened geopolitical risk, as you talked about, and beyond the human tragedy and the humanitarian crisis that we're seeing for some of these events. I mean, they can also cause volatility in financial markets. Um, and while this volatility is usually temporary, it, it can be severe in magnitude. I mean, so, so what we talk about to help manage some of this, which, you know, admittedly, it can be very difficult at times to predict and even handicap. We've been advising using capital preservation strategies and having some exposure systems, safe haven assets like, like gold. You know, gold can really provide some stability to a well-diversified portfolio. In fact, we saw gold rally quite a bit in the immediate aftermath after the Hamas attack in Israel in October. Um, gold also tends to do well when real interest rates are falling. And as we discussed earlier, we do expect rates to fall even further in 2024. So gold right now is hovering around $2,040 an ounce. We think it gets to about $2,250 by the end of 2024. So that's about a 10% upside from here. We think gold can really play and provide some stability in a well-diversified uh, portfolio. So that's one way to help head some geopolitical risk. So, Nadia, that's great, and I think so many folks really think about gold in times like this. But when we think about commodities such as gold and oil, they are traditional geopolitical hedges. But there's been a lot of volatility uh, and downside, specifically to oil recently. So what's going on? What are UBS CIO's views and, and on this, and where does it go from here? Yeah, you know, Mel, oil has just been taking it on the chin recently. I mean, the commodity is down 20% from the $96 Brent oil that we saw in late September. I mean, there's a number of things that are pressuring um, oil right now. Prices have been under pressure because of concerns around demand for oil as economies slow um, globally. There's also worries about increased production supply coming from some countries like our very own, the U.S., that 
could lead to an oversupply in the global oil market. You know, in fact, the U.S. oil production retails record level at over 13 million barrels per day. That's up by nearly a million this year. That's a lot. Um, there's also a large force, though, in the market right now that has been working all year in an effort to really try to balance the supply and demand dynamics. Um, that is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC Plus, uh, which is collectively accounts for, call it over half of global oil production, and it includes countries like Saudi Arabia, Russia, and some others. Um, the cartel has been implementing uh, production cuts for much of this year, and it's targeting over 2 million barrels a day cuts in the first quarter. Now, some of these cuts are voluntary now, and so there's concerns that some countries just won't fully comply, and all of this is putting some downward pressure on oil prices. And so as oil prices come down, the computer programs, those rule-based algorithms are also trading in the market, and they tend to be momentum and trend followers. They're also selling. Uh, so near-term, prices are likely to remain volatile. But we do think in CIO that compliance of OPEC plus cuts will be high in the first quarter, and the oil market will be in a deficit with demand outstripping supply. And that will help to stabilize prices and push them higher. But as mentioned, there's also the ongoing Israel-Hamas war in the Middle East. And as you know, um, the Middle East is an oil-rich region, and there could be at any point a disruption to oil production. So that's why we also see oil as a geopolitical risk. So some volatility in their terms, but we do see um, upside to oil prices in 2024. And Nadia, we've talked a lot about CIO's view for 2024. And just to recap the headlines, slower economic growth, but no recession. Another is interest rates are going to fall. So we really want to lock in yields now. And then the third is equities are going to move higher, but with performance broadening out. So it, we want to maintain a, qual- a bias to quality. But we know investing is also about the longer term. So I'd love if you could pull back the lens a bit and talk about the decade ahead and how UBS CIO sees that evolving. Yes, Mel, um, absolutely. You know, as we look out on the distant horizon, we think things like artificial intelligence, the energy transition, and mature and Chinese uh, economy, demographic trends, and high debt. Uh, globally, will have implications for the wall and investments. I mean, this is why, from an investment standpoint, we think that it's really important to pick some of the leaders from disruption. Now, artificial intelligence has gotten a lot of attention this past year, Mel, but it's not a new concept per se. I mean, however, significant advancements have been made with the launch of things like ChatGPT and other uh, large language models, giving us a glimpse of the possibilities. You know, right now, the focus has been on the framework and infrastructure of building that side out of the AI hardware and the platform. But in coming years, that will broaden it out even more to the operators, the enablers, the applications, and the implementation. So we recommend broad exposure to the AI value chain to include some of the cloud players, the semiconductors, software, and internet names. We just think that there's tremendous longer-term opportunities in AI. This is a market that could be an over $300 billion market and it's growing at uh, over 60% on an annualized basis over the next five years, with a good chunk of that being driven by applications and product in- integration. So, 
from a broader economic standpoint, we think that it will improve the efficiency, productivity, and gains over time. Some jobs, of course, will be disrupted, as they always are in technological change. But guess what? New ones will also emerge. Now, beyond AI, another evolution that's happening is around climate change, national security, and advanced technologies that are really going to drive global decarbonization. You know, the COP28, the 28th annual UN climate meeting, um, recently happened in early December, and there's a continuous focus on reducing carbon emissions. Now, for us to achieve that, there has to be a great amount of investments in areas like power generation, energy infrastructure, transport, buildings, and heating and cooling system. These investment opportunities will not be in the public market now, but they will also be in the private market. So that's another area that investors can look at. And one last area that I will highlight is the innovation that we're seeing in healthcare, and this could actually get accelerated by artificial intelligence. Reality is drug discovery takes years. It costs a lot of money. And to be honest, most drug trials actually fail. So AI could help really identify some of those compounds that could have a higher probability of success and might even improve the overall outcome. You know, this past year in 2023, obesity, weight loss, drug, diabetes, we've all seen it on the headlines, got a lot of attention. And this is a market with these GLP-1 drugs that could really be blockbuster one by the time we get to the end of this decade. I mean, some industry executives suggest that this could be an over $100 billion market. But longer-term opportunities are not just limited to that. It's not just limited to weight loss or diabetes. It's beyond that, um, you know, beyond the demographic trends with the aging population that will really drive the demand for healthcare and services. We also see opportunities in the treatments for cancer, rare diseases, immunology, and neurology. So for investors that are able to lock up capital for a bit longer, you know, they can also consider diversifying beyond the public market and into the private markets. I mean, the private markets tend to play a very significant role in funding early research. So now, while we live in an ever-changing world and we might be in a new world post-pandemic, we are excited about the investment landscape ahead. There's a lot to do, and it's about remaining focused on those longer-term objectives while being agile. Those things are going to be important in the decade ahead. Thanks so much, Nadia, for that long-term view. And thanks, too, for joining us and sharing insights and ideas for investors to navigate their portfolio from CIO's Year Ahead report. Thank you so much um, for having me. This is a pleasure now. Well, thank you. And then for our listeners, you can download the full CIO report by visiting ubs.com forward slash CIO dash year ahead. Thank you for tuning in to the Future of Wealth. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment
investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 